0: I'm so tired. Yeah, me too. It's okay to admit that. And if that's you today, you're in the right place, and this message is for you. If you served at Kids Week, you might be tired. By the way, you should also get bonus points in heaven. That's not biblical theology, but it should be there. Truly, we are grateful for all of you. You know, we have two daughters there, and it's been a great, great week. Thank you for investing in the lives of our children and in this amazing generation. You know, there are so many ways to be tired. You can work 50 plus hours, carry various responsibilities, volunteer in and out of the church and more, and you can be very tired. But you can also be retired, have just as full of a schedule in supporting loved ones and countless other responsibilities and volunteer roles, and be tired. You can be young and energetic and seemingly free, but also spinning a million plates and be tired. It's true for me and my family as well. These past few weeks, as people have asked how the school year ended, I admitted that at times it felt we were crawling to the end. Ten years ago, blogger Jen Hatmaker wrote this hilarious post called Worst End of School Year Mom Ever. She begins by asking you know the beginning of school enthusiasm when the pencils are fresh and the notebooks are new and the kids backpacks don't look like they've been lined by in a deck of uh, in a pack of filthy hyenas. Moms remember how you packed innovative and nutritional lunches and laid clothes out the night before and and labeled shelves for each child's work and school correspondence and completed homework in a timely manner. She says I'm exactly still like that at the end of the school year except the opposite. We are limping, limping across the finish line, she says. Just as I tapped out somewhere in April, and, and at this point it's a miracle if my kids are still even going to school. I haven't checked homework folders in three weeks because, well, I just can't. Cannot. Cannot. I can't look at the homework in the folder. Is there homework in the folder? I don't even know. Are other moms still looking at the homework folder? I don't even care. She describes also every parent's journey of the joy of reading to your children and having them try to read back to you. And then over the course of time, the agony of hearing your child read a three-minute book in about 45 minutes every night. She offers this wise suggestion. Children should not be allowed to read until they are really good at it. (laughs) That type of logic works perfectly to fellow tired parents. And if it doesn't make sense to you, then you haven't taught a child how to read or... It's been a while. She finishes with this exhortation to fellow moms. She says, some mom out there sending lunchables with your kid, making her wear shoes with holes. We're almost there. I got your back, sister. We were awesome back in October. Don't you forget that. We used to care, and that counts for something. Next year's teachers will get a freshen, a fresher version of us in the fall, hang in their mama. As a dad, I, I can relate to that, too. If you'd like to read the the full post, just Google Jen Hatmaker, worst end-of-school-year mom ever. But be warned, there's some mild and crude language, nothing profane, just words that as a pastor, I would never utter from this pulpit, not like some other senior-level pastors. Were you here last week when, when Pastor Brian said what he said? It has a shook I mean, just when you think you really know your senior pastor. I mean, some of us are questioning everything about him. Like, is Brian really a runner? I mean, all these stories we heard of him encountering God on the trail. Maybe he's just watching TV and Googling cool sermon illustrations. Some of us are also looking for his birth certificate. What if it's just Brian with an I and not Brian with a Y? Deceits! Scandals! Apparently you can say anything from this pulpit. You know, we have Pastor John Kim preaching next week. The working title of the sermon is, is ice cream, it's called, ice cream is good for your soul. It's probably true, but is that in the Bible? I mean, is he quoting from the apostles Ben and Jerry? Make sure you tune in. But if there's any theological inaccuracy, let's make sure we blame Brian. Truly, we all thought it was funny. We had a great time. And we are realizing that we have a limited amount of time to tease Brian. So, so get all these jokes in while you can. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and listen to week one. Uh, there's a few things that you just have to hear Brian say himself. But even more importantly, he also launched this new series. And it's called For the Good of Your Soul. And here's why this series matters so much right now. On the other side of another school and ministry year, many of us are tired. Our bodies, our energies, our minds, our our temperaments, everything, including our souls, are tired. And throughout the series, we are are seeing the soul as the spiritual center of your life. The soul as the spiritual center of your life. Defining the soul can be complicated and, and theologically loaded, but... Look, school's over and we have kids in most of these rooms, maybe even watching right now with you. Welcome, young friends. Truly grateful that you're here with us. So for our purposes, we want to see the soul as the part of your mind that thinks, that dreams, that also worries. We want to see the soul as part of your emotional center that that cheers, that, that gets sad too and, and lonely. The soul as a part of you that prays, that, that aches. And that longs to see what your eyes can't. That's your soul. And today we want to talk about how rest is good for your soul. In this text, specifically, a nap is good for your soul. Is that in the Bible? It sure is. I want to take you into the Old Testament to to a set of chapters revolving around the prophet Elijah, who is one of Israel's greatest prophets. And we want to... Today, we, we, we want to picture heroic figures. We, we, when we want to do that, we, we, we think about movie characters that look superhuman. Like, what, what did Elijah look like? like? Like Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Maybe Elijah was like that, but without all those muscles. You probably look like Brian Wilkerson. The text we are going to read from is in 1 Kings chapter 19. And we'll start there, and, and then I'll give you some context. It says, now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like that one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Well, let's meet the cast. Ahab is the king in the northern kingdom of Israel, and he was a wicked king that had no interest in honoring God. He married a Sidonian woman named Jezebel and became involved in worshiping Baal, the god of her people. Now Ahab built a temple to Baal in the capital city of Samaria and made it a center for pagan worship. We're told a few chapters earlier that Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were there before him. And so, what did he tell his wife, Jezebel, that made her so angry? Well, you might want to read the account for yourself, but in the chapter prior, that's chapter 18, there is a face-off between Elijah and these 500 priests of Baal. These would be her priests. And they set up a contest on whose sacrifice would be received. The false prophets do do their thing, but nothing happens. And then Elijah does this dramatic demonstration of of soaking the trenches of the altar with water, like three times. And then when he prays and he commits a sacrifice, God receives it by bringing down fire from heaven. The citizens of Israel see this and they fall in worship of the true and living God. And then they realize that these false priests of Baal have been lying to them this whole time. So they seize them And they are no more, if you understand what I mean. Jezebel is angry, and she vows to hunt down Elijah. And so he flees. The text continues. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said take my life, I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under the bush and fell asleep. I mean, why does he flee? And why does he say such things? I mean, God just sent holy fire down from heaven. I mean, why doesn't he stand his ground and and stand outside Jezebel's window and yell, "I'm, I'm standing right here! And maybe he's got like a fireball in his hand. That's a good question. Well, Elijah knows what most people of God know, that having experienced the power and love of God, that God is not a genie, that you can just control. And that power of God is is not some undemand feature. It's a matter of faith, and that comes from the deepest part of your soul. And he probably sees himself as an instrument of God's righteousness, and may wonder, is God going to back him up the next day? It's always about faith of the soul. And just after this epic battle, Elijah is extremely tired, body and soul. This makes Elijah relatable to me and maybe to you. Well, the the, the scene continues. It says, all at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some baked bread over hot coals and and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then laid down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God, and there he went into a cave and spent the night. That's divine deliverance right there. Just after he calls out to God saying, I just can't take it anymore. I don't want to do this. I don't want to be here anymore. He passes out and takes a long nap. Did you get this? Then the angel of the Lord appears, gives him food, and then has him take another nap. At first glance, Elijah might have looked at the angel sent from God and said, this is absolutely the worst time for me to take a nap. Do you see what's going on? The people are chasing after me to kill me, and you want me to stop and sleep? and eat, and then take another nap? Yeah, that's the plan. Friends, imagine you and your family are on a road trip this summer, and you get caught up in a high-speed road rage altercation with a driver from Ohio. And they pull up next to you, and then the driver is screaming and flailing their arms, threatening you. And you, being the good driver from Massachusetts, with a, you know, a Jesus bumper sticker on the back of your car and you're a person of peace, you don't retaliate. You don't side swipe them. You, you decide actually to set a good example for your family and not return the anger. Wisely, you decide to create space by speeding up ahead. It's usually at this point when they are lost in your rearview mirror that somebody in your car says, I need to go and, and, and I need a rest stop or I need to eat. And you see a rest stop right in front of you you're not going to pull off and let that person possibly catch up to you. That's the risk that the angel is putting Elijah in. Stop. Eat. Nap. Again. Man, you don't want to create risks of the danger catching up with you. And in our everyday lives, we we face this. Maybe not with, with angry queens like Jezebel and her armies. Uh, maybe not even like in road rage contexts. hopefully not. Most of us actually fear a different type of danger when it comes to stopping. Like, if I stop, I won't get all the work done. If I stop, the competition will catch up to me. If I stop, I might not advance in my career. If I stop, our kids will suffer as a result. If I stop, I'll regret it. I can't stop. Can you relate to that? I mean, there's some love in that sentiment. I mean, you don't want to let yourself or your loved ones down, do you? There's some survival in there too. There's some guts and perseverance and, and even some courage. It's also the path that eventually leads to burnout. Let's talk about burnout. Because Elijah is not just tired. It appears that he is facing burnout. What is burnout? Burnout is a psychological syndrome emerging as a prolonged response to chronic interpersonal stressors on the job. There are three key dimensions of this response, and one is overwhelming exhaustion, feelings of cynicism and detachment from the job, and a sense of ineffectiveness and lack of accomplishment. There's some signs of burnout, and I've, I've edited some of these, but, but you should Google it to learn more. The signs of burnout include excessive use of substances, including alcohol, drugs, and prescription drugs, physical and mental overwhelmment and fatigue, moodiness and irritability, the inability to make decisions, loss of motivation, withdrawing from support systems, hopelessness, and more. There's some real dire factors also to be considered, but I've, I've, again, I've edited this list as we have young friends in the room. Now, I I know for some of us, it's hard to admit feeling burnt out. I mean, it feels fatalistic, defeated, and guilt is often attached, as, as if you were not strong enough to avoid burnout. But could I suggest, you might consider that it's because of great strength and great capacity that one is prone to the effects of burnout. There's been research when it comes to burnout from work it includes 89% of workers have experienced burnout within the past year, 89%. 77% of employees have experienced have experienced feelings of burnout at their current job. We're told that the burnout rate is 59% in 2022, which was up 13.5%. Obviously, we're still working on the statistics from this year. From the text, we can see that Elijah is exhibiting qualities and feelings of burnout. Physical and emotional overwhelmment, loss of motivation, hopelessness, and a sense of ineffectiveness. I mean, as a reader of scripture, this is initially baffling, because again, the chapter before, he defeated the prophets of Baal in miraculous fashion. The day after, he should have been dancing with God. But as often as is the case with great work, comes great fatigue. Burnout, is a real thing. Caring for your body and soul are, are then needed priorities in your life. Consider addressing burnout and refilling your soul as a form of stewardship for your soul. You need it. This is why the angel does not transport Elijah away. He has to stop right there and rest. This is why God doesn't give Elijah a sermon loaded with guilt Did you not just see what we just did? You were my instrument of judgment against Baal and his prophets, so don't quit on me now, or I'll just find somebody else. Anything else in that moment increases the effects of burnout. God, our creator of body and soul, understands what Elijah needs. God understands what you need. Sometimes it's to stop, eat, nap. But he doesn't stop there. After stopping and eating and napping twice, he's refreshed and renewed. And then he runs at the Texas for 40 days. That's like your average Thursday run for Pastor Brian Wilkerson, by the way. Listen, I really want to make sure that we get this. Elijah doesn't run ahead just because he feels better. And Elijah doesn't run ahead just to stay away from the Queen Jezebel. Elijah runs ahead because that's where the work of ministry is. Elijah runs ahead for mission. He runs ahead because that's where the Lord needs him to be. In the coming section, Elijah speaks to God. And the word of the Lord came to him, it says. And it asks, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replies, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass. Later on in this passage, the text describes this extraordinary encounter with God in the forms of powerful winds that that tore through the mountains, earthquake and more fire. Elijah actually has to cover his face with his cloak. And that same voice asks the same question. And they have like almost like the same exact exchange. What are you doing here, Elijah? Make no mistake now. This is a question for Elijah. God knows who he is. This is a question about identity. This is a question of mission. And as readers and spiritual seekers, we're always looking for what is unmistakably of God. This is unmistakable. But remember, before this came a nap, came some food, came another nap. The nap was good for Elijah's soul because it allowed him to see what he needed to see and do what he needed to do. Otherwise, he probably would have not gotten to this point. When he's asked, what are you doing here? Elijah repeats what he said earlier. I'm going to use a different translation. I've been very zealous for you, Lord. And the message translation says it like this. I've been working my heart out for you, God. Because the people of Israel have abandoned your covenant destroyed your places of worship, and murdered your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. So the Lord gives them a new mission. Go back the way you came, go to the desert of Damascus, and anoint Hazael, also anoint Jehu and Elisha to be your successor. Now these are going to be the kings of Syria and Judah, and Elisha is going to be the new prophet that's coming. Now some of this gets delayed and complicated throughout First Kings and and. Because life is complicated and scripture is complicated. But make no mistake, God has a mission for Elijah. God also has a mission for you too. Years ago, I had uh, agreed to attend this spiritual soul care weekend retreat for pastors and ministry types. You know, I was excited when I first signed up for it because I I, I needed this. But like with most retreats and getaways that The weekend was poorly scheduled in regards to my schedule. And so I started to question whether I should even go. I had responsibilities. I had a young family. And what was the point of going? Work and guilt were just going to be there waiting for me on the other side of this retreat. So I didn't want to go. With the blessing of my wife, I I ended up going. And I'm telling you, it was nowhere cool. It was in the middle of nowhere. I won't say where, but it was in the middle of nowhere. It was not cool. I get to the camp retreat center, and you could tell that this place had had seen better days long, long ago. Decades ago, probably. And all of my cynicism was confirmed. I got registered, eventually made my way to the evening hospitality meet and greet. I typically like those things, but that night I had to put that smiling passer face on. Hi, I'm Tim. Yes, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. I work at Grace Chapel. Yes, I know Pastor Jeanette Yep. Yes, and Pastor Richard Rhodes. Yes, and Pastor Brian Wilkerson. Fabulous people. I did that all night. I was tired. The speaker got up that Friday night, and and as he spoke, I felt myself sinking further. His delivery was slow and, and honestly a bit dull. You really had to work to pay attention. You could tell that they couldn't find anybody else. So they found this guy. But most speakers have something redeemable about them, and the Holy Spirit can use anyone. And among the things that he said was, if you are serving people, let the Lord minister to you this weekend. You see, people are tough. People are complicated, sometimes even cruel. And you can't keep serving people and not allow Jesus to fill you and not burn out. I felt seen in that moment. Maybe you can relate to that too. The burnout comes because you care for so many people and because you have high hopes for them. The burnout comes after life charts out a tough and unexpected path, a very tough path. Burnout accompanies that. The next morning I woke up and, and the speaker's message was a little better. And he began a conversation on soul care and how Jesus prioritized prayer and the need to care for his soul. We broke up in small groups, and then after lunch it was actually a very good meal, by the way. Some people took hikes, and some people just hung out with each other. Some people took naps, and including me. I was pretty sleep-deprived at that point in my life. That night, the speaker gave an amazing message. I mean, wisdom poured out of every syllable. Power in his delivery that you could feel. You could tell that this same guy was like on their wish list of speakers. He was probably the first pick. Did he get dramatically better in 24 hours? Or was my soul acquiring the ears to hear him? I don't think I'll ever forget the shifts in my soul throughout that weekend. Or happen, but you get the idea. I needed to stop, eat, nap, and then go. Which brings us to our main takeaway for today. Rest from work to get your soul ready for what is next. Rest from work to get your soul ready for what is next. This summer here at Grace, we we have a few opportunities for you. Even as our regular ministry schedule downshifts and slows a bit, we have summer coolers because we want to continue creating opportunities for people to meet and connect with one another. It's a big church across six campuses, and amongst the realizations that we continue to make here is that there are amazing people all over this place. And chances are you're pretty wonderful yourself. So we invite you to connect, begin the process, deepen relationships, the goodness, the mess, and, and the love of it all. So those are the, the summer coolers. We're also launching a, a limited number of summer short-term groups. You can go on Finder today, and, and, and more will be posted in the following weeks. There'll be one that meets online and it's open to all people, led by one of our amazing staff members, Meg Nelson. I, I also want to take this opportunity to thank all of our life group leaders in all their many forms for serving so faithfully this year. Our Group Life vision has been about practicing the way of Jesus together by deepening our spiritual formation, strengthening relationships, and living on mission. We cannot create Christian community without all of them, without these teachers and facilitators and hosts and more. So we're grateful for each and every one of you. May your souls get rest and renewal this summer. And one more very important development uh, as we approach the summer, as Grace Chapel begins its process in looking for its next senior pastor, we as a staff in the congregation want to root and bathe this process in prayer. We'll be posting sets of prayer resources throughout the seasons ahead, and we want everyone who loves Grace Chapel to use them. We're not just praying that God will provide our next senior pastor. We are also praying that God will prepare us as followers of Jesus and as a faith community for what the Lord has in store for us. So keep an eye out for that and for more. Friends, as we close today, let's not rush past these moments. We have the sermon series scheduled in the summer like this for a reason. We want you to stop and rest and enjoy the blessings that God brings this time of year. Things like ice cream and fireworks and sun and sand and starry nights and travel and fire pits with loved ones. Intentionally, we've designed the series on soul care after a full and yet wonderful series from the book of Revelation. And in front of a year ahead that's going to be filled with changes and transitions and powerful moments. Celebrating Brian's extraordinary leadership. And yeah, a few jokes at his expense. But it's also going to be a year filled with reminding one another that God has a purpose for every one of us. A mission for you and a calling for this church. But first, do what Elijah did, and get some rest. Take a nap, eat some good food, and then take another nap. Let's rest from work to get our souls ready for what is next. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, once again, we thank you for the power of Scripture. And we thank you for this amazing story of, about Elijah and all the amazing things that you did in his life, including in this scene and providing rest and and renewal for his soul. And so, Lord, as, as we also face fatigue and, and as we are tired and, and perhaps facing burnout, we pray, Lord, that you'd provide the same for us, that we might find our rest in you, that you would renew our souls, and that you would help us for what we need today. So in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.